Blog Talk Radio. Good evening once again, and you are listening to the Blog Talk Radio Network. This is Forbidden America, and as always, I am your host, Steve McManus. Tonight, I have a special guest. Hang on a minute. Hang on, folks. There we go. Okay, well, let's try it again. Tonight, I, we had some server glitches there. Not my fault, but I'll take responsibility anyway. Tonight, we have Michael Hathaway. Michael Hathaway is an interesting story. He graduated from the Boston Conservatory of Music and was a high school band director for 30 years until... Hey, Mike, are you there? I am there, yes. You're there, you're here, I'm there, I'm here. <laughs> We're both here. Someplace, yes. Someplace. I had some uh, unforeseen technical glitches with the server. I was uh, doing all kinds of playback and reverb and all that. It's never happened before, but I think that's uh, maybe that's something karmic. I was just going into yeah. your uh, to your... Uh, introduction about how you were a uh, a graduate from Boston Conservatory of Music and was a, a, a high school band leader for 30 years and was just about to say that you had had an auto accident that ended that teaching career uh, and eventually led you to be the director of the White Mountain Hypnosis Center, which is in Madison, New Hampshire, um, specializing in helping people of all ages. And I'm reading your bio, so that helps me uh, identify and develop their unique gifts and abilities to move forward with their life. So they come to you when they're kind of stuck with something and, and they need to, to look for some kind of guidance from within and, and externally. And you wrote a book called uh, The Idiot, uh, Idiot's Complete Guide to uh, Your Past Lives. Discovering Your Past Lives. The uh, first edition. Yeah, the SIG... The Complete Idiot's Guide to Discovering Your Past Lives. This is a second edition with a different title. It was originally called Idiot's Guide to Past Life Regression. And now when you say, uh, and you're talking about past life regression, some people have no clue what you mean, and quite a few of the listeners from this channel have a clue. But when you say past life regression, you're referring to what? Well, the the concept here is steve that uh that we our soul uh lives more than one lifetime in other words we re-in, re reincarnate 
And so with that concept, it means that we have within our soul memory, memories of our lives before. And there are thoughts and theories, and, and what I find particularly interesting is that we're influenced really on a daily basis by the things that we've experienced in past lives. And they come into play in our interests, our likes, our dislikes, our fears, our phobias. All of the things in this life, or a lot of them, are really influenced from some sort of a soul memory that we've had in the past. This brings to mind, to me, and I've read through your book. I really, I've enjoyed what I've read so far, and I'm going to keep uh, gleaning what I can from it. Uh, I've noticed that the way in which it's written, you could jump back and forth through it or read it literally from cover to cover. Either way, you're going to get some really good material out of there uh, that's going to be helpful. But what I picked out from uh, from the book, which kind of rings with what you just said, was when you made reference to um, the great Carl Jung with his theories on collective unconscious, the universal mind, and how memories uh, are are sort of in this huge data bank that anyone can tap into uh, if they open themselves up to it. Yeah, the the sort of the collective unconsciousness, and that's one theory is that out there all knowledge is all stored from everything, not only one soul, but all the soul's knowledges are there. Edgar Cayce uh, when he did uh, past life readings, would go out to the Akashic Book of Records, he called it, and look up the record of the soul. And uh, he might, he started doing that really on health issues because that's what he, his primary, his readings were, were for health situations for people. And when he started talking all of a sudden in trance about somebody's health issue in this life was really it was set because of past life situations. And he uh, really had did not believe in past lives. He was a, had grown up with a, quite a religious background, conservative, conservative religious background, and yet at the same time when he was in a trance, he was talking things that he wouldn't hit wouldn't normally have talked, and, and he accepted that eventually that, uh, yeah, we have more than uh, more than one lifetime. So he was really connecting and, and, and almost as if he were role-playing, and it would almost appear that way as opposed to the uninitiated, that he was speaking in terms and perhaps communicating in a manner that was completely out of character for him in his lifetime. Yes, that's or, or, Edgar Casey would not act that way. Well, it was, yeah, under trance, he would give information that he had no knowledge of. I mean, he when he did a reading, um, he would actually be able to go to a place where the person was and almost like read the body and give a diagnosis of what was the problem with the person and also some healing cures. However, the medical community didn't accept them because they were really in homeopathic terms. So consequently, uh, he would give these recommendations, and when people followed them, they worked. uh, (laughs) Imagine. Yeah. uh, And they're still being used today, Steve. I mean, the body of work that he did, what, 12, 
14,000 readings, I mean, they're still gleaning knowledge, medical knowledge, uh, past life knowledge, knowledge of Atlantis, the concept of, you know, the lost continent. All of these things that are out of the work of Casey are all, you know, they're just as pertinent today as they were uh, at the time he died in 1945. So a lot of this... Go ahead. That's okay. That's okay. Go ahead. I was going to say the... I, I didn't want to bring a cynical tone into it at all, but do you think that maybe established, you know, Western medicine kind of, you know, just rolls their eyes at it, maybe because, A, they're trained not to believe in it, and, or, B, they're not getting a piece of that pie. Maybe there's some financial, uh, you know, motivation there to kind of discredit it. Well, I don't know exactly why, you know, this this goes back into the 30s and, uh, you know, the 40s, and uh, where he had, at that time, it really wasn't accepted by the uh, medical community. Um, osteopathic medicine uh, actually was what he aligned up with. And uh, so, you know, it was just, it's just, I guess, belief systems. And obviously it's a different different focus, a different type of uh, concept of medical uh, treatment. The thing today is that the cost of traditional medicine has gotten so out of control that people are, Looking for alternatives to uh, for better health at, at a better price, I think. So there's been right. much more of an interest in alternative healing uh, in the last few years. I and you, you've touched on a, Go ahead. You've touched on a couple of things there where you said uh, both in Casey's case and also in uh, when when uh, you've made the reference that some people's belief systems might be conservative, um, which is not to say to use the word conservative in the same sense we would politically necessarily, but they might be conservative or they might be in in a place where they are maybe uh, they don't really know much about things spiritual and therefore if they can't taste it or smell it or touch it, they don't really know what to think of anything or maybe aren't even aware of anything. Um, and you had quoted a Dr. Lisa Halpin in your book about how it doesn't matter if the people that you're seeing believe in reincarnation or not because other terms and concepts really touch into the same types of, of of things where you're dealing with, such as you could approach them with it by saying, uh, we know these things about quantum physics or parallel uh, time frames or genetic memory, and that that's really what you're dealing with as well when you're talking about half-life regression and so forth. I, yeah, I... I do some past lives with people without them even believing in past lives. Um, It's like, uh, you know, imagination. And so, you know, imagination comes from someplace. In other words, we we think we're making it up, but what's the basis for how we're making it up? Is it life experiences or is it coming from other source? And so it doesn't really make a difference whether it's a, you know, whether past lives are real or not, I, I've come to believe, uh, and I would be about the biggest skeptic that could be, but I've come to believe that, boy, there's something out there that uh, seems to indicate. And just from watching people make changes in their lives, once they get to view a different situation, looking at a past life, it's, uh, you know, it's amazing to me. Um, so it really is, uh, 
Yeah, I, it could be a what you call a psycho, psychosomatic story in your mind, your imagination that creates it. But if you get a resolution out of it, then that's really good. Most of the past lives I do, Steve, while people wide awake in conversation. And when I'm talking to them, uh, sometimes they go so deep into a trance while I'm talking to them that they lose all conscious awareness because I use techniques to step them into images, to step them into the imagination while we're just holding a conversation. That must be a great trust factor there when when they're putting you know they're putting even their, themselves in your hands as it were and well, then I'm not after controlling them right understood but i mean afterwards they must have what are their reactions after the session when they you kind of debrief them and and what it was you know how are they at that point well first of all a lot of people are amazed the thing is that this is not controlling. In other words, when people think hypnosis is okay, you know, I'm going to count from five to zero and you go off into a deep sleep. Uh, what I use is a lot of neurolinguistic programming, which is communication and model building in the mind, working with the way a person's senses work, and no one, no mind is the same. So I need to learn how the person images in their mind's eye so that I can then talk to them in ways they understand. So if somebody's into pictures or sees in their mind's eye pictures, then I will, you know, talk pictures. I'm non-visual, so for somebody to ask me for a description, it's not going to come out the same way as it is somebody that's very visual. So that's learning the technique. The biggest problem that we have in, in doing regressions, I don't know if you call it a problem, but a challenge, is the fact that when you get a critical thinker, somebody that analyzes everything they do, they are doubting what they're doing. That's like I had somebody one time that was, uh, you know, he was about to go down on an airplane and, uh, you know, he was talking about that and going down in the plane in the Second World War and he said, you know, he says, but I've always been interested in Second World War so I'm probably just making this up. Well, after we finished the session, he said, you know, it was strange. He said, my head was spinning when that plane was going down. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, how, so how did one learn to have a head spin? And this is my question. How do you know what you know? Where did you learn it? And when mm -hmm. I listen to words and descriptions from people, Steve, in other words, people will use words out of context. They may use different terms than they would normally. Those are the things I listen for. Well, how come you use that term? Where did that come from? You know, it could be from a different time period. It's like somebody talking about um, somebody else hurting their feelings would say, like, uh, that person really wounded me. Well, okay, mm. so where did they get wounded in the first place? You know, so right. you hear these little phrases and paying attention to it, you know, then you're just quite well. It's you're that really your mind detective, and all you're doing is collecting clues, and the clues you get from your interview from the things that lead the person. But what I do is experiential rather than read it. You know, say okay, in this past life you were so and so, which a lot of people do as far as people reading somebody and giving them a past life reading. What I'll do is. I might have a clue, but I'm, we're going to go wherever the universe takes us. 
wherever that is, and then we just open up with an image and we go from there. Right. I know from uh, from experience, you know, the people that have been working with me in the past, uh, if anybody's looked at my bio in the, uh, on the show, uh, they know that I do some work in other realms, as it were, and I think I mentioned to you prior to the show here uh, that I thought I was making it up for the longest time. It's like, you know, it's an imagination. You're you're playing with stuff in your head, and it's like you're going through a scenario in a film, uh, and you're making it up. You're just making up a story until certain things eventually come to play where you knew that is exactly what was about to happen, and then it played out exactly as you had foreseen it, and then you're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, you, yeah, you can't just... The game changes then. The game changes uh, big time. Yeah, and that's learning to trust what you know. You know, the biggest thing is, and, is, and this is, most people are their own worst enemy. Uh, what they do, they think everybody else does it the same way. So they really don't value it, or they don't, you know, they just don't think of it as uncommon. And what I believe is that everybody does something that's uncommon, something a little different. And so my job or a lot of what I do is help a person identify something they may do that somebody else doesn't do, and it's something that's usable to them so that they can, you know, it's a skill, it's an ability, it's giving them permission to use that for something positive and good. But what you do, I can't do, and the way you know things, I don't know them the same way. So I have to trust on however I know them and go with that. So lots of times my questions to people, I don't know why I'm going to ask the question I ask until it comes out. I have a concept, but it's in the moment, at that moment. So I don't hold the script up. No two past lives are the same. They're always completely different. And that's what makes it so fascinating. Was that disconcerting to you at all, like early on in your yeah. career, this particular career, when you were seeing people and they would come to you, and some of them, I'm sure, were you know, distraught or upset or whatever, and then did you have those moments early on in your career where you would think you would cringe inside and go, you know, I'm just making this up. I hope I'm not <laughs> doing anything to these people, you know, leading them down a path that's make-believe because I really want to help them. Did you ever have any well, things like that? The, the the first thing in what we say, what I say is that, uh, one, is I don't treat diagnosis cure in what I do. My job is like a facilitator, like a coach. I give them permission, first of all, whenever we're doing anything like a past life, to, one, know that any time they're uncomfortable, they if, if their eyes were closed, they can open their eyes, come back to the surface. They're in charge of the session and not stuck in the session. Way back when I was a, you know, way before I studied hypnosis, and I learned uh, hypnosis back in the early 80s, and uh, there was a psychologist named Donna Sillo who uh, was uh, at school system, and Don's son now is the announcer for the Boston Red Sox, so some of your listeners may recognize that name and, and his father. Sure do. Yeah, his father started me in hypnosis. They used to live here in Madison, New Hampshire, back in the 80s. And uh, 
So when I was reading, and then I, you know, just like anything else, you go play with it, and you don't know any better, you just play. And so I played with it for probably eight or ten years, just playing with hypnosis, hypnotizing people. And, yeah, you bring somebody out in the middle of a wall about to be shot or something like that, you know. So you now, uh, I use different terms. In other words, I make sure that I'm looking after the person. That's what you learn is to make sure that your number one goal is to look after the welfare of the person. And it's not scary. It's just that if there is a traumatic event in the past, that we look at, we want to sneak up on it. We also want to find out if they can dissociate and watch it like a movie so they don't have to experience it over again. I mean, there, there are many levels of hypnosis. Some people go into it so deep that it becomes absolutely real, and some people just keep saying, oh, I think I'm imagining, I think I'm imagining. So, you know, there's many, many levels of, of imagery that, that a person has in their mind. So it's always... And- difference to what has been the most life-changing thing with regard to the type of work you're doing now through hypnosis and through past life regression and so on for you um it sounds like a really generic question but uh, to me it isn't uh, you know what is how is it that it has transformed your life experience now as compared to when you were like say back in the 70s or 80s well i think in Again, that gift of being run over and knowing that I'm still here and believing I trained for the accident and and, and it's something I celebrate was, you know, in other words, there's something out there. Everything I do, I believe that I'm not alone in what I do. And I'm a piece of the team, and it's like I say, I'm on call for the universe. But when people come, I'm just this guy up in the woods but people will come from all over when it's time for them to come. Somehow they know how to get there or to this place or wherever. It's just like writing the books. Somehow or other, it was all arranged for it to be done. In other words, through mm-hmm. a book agent, and you know, just out of the uncommon. So that was life-changing. I think running into and even doing my own uh, past lives, in other words, um, you know, working with people, but never thinking I would experience any of my own, but running into a couple of situations where I actually almost went into a trance talking with somebody, just about in a light trance, you know, going, oh, wait a minute here, there's something here that connects to something. So I mm-hmm. have run into several people that I've been with in past lifetimes, which is very interesting. You know, in other words, it's the connection is like, oh, okay, so that makes sense. And... um and so it's pieces coming together. But I think the life-changing thing is when you go through an accident, your mental DNA changes anyway. So you look at things differently than you did before. And I call a near-death experience like I didn't fly up or float up, but it could happen mentally, physically, or spiritually. It's just something that changes you. And so that change, and then every day I'm taught. You know, So it's just an evolution since that time, since '89. Every day, it's a new experience with new learning because the teachers will teach me as I'm going forward. Just as I write, lots of times I will write things that I'm not quite sure why I wrote it. And I'm going, well, you know, how am I going to know that? And then within a day or so, there will be people show up that will provide the information just to back up what I wrote. 
So, you know, to me, it's just I'm in partnership with something. So I just learned to trust in it. I can't explain it, but I just do it. Do you think it's true at all that um, I've heard this analogy before from a couple of different sources that were widely divergent? One was a, a talk show host and another person was somebody I knew in real life and so on. And the analogy that I was told was that when the universe wants your attention, there's something you're supposed to be paying attention to, to or doing, and they'll they'll kind of tap you on the shoulder and you ignore it because you don't know enough to recognize it, and they'll throw a pebble at you and you don't notice that, and they throw a rock at you, and then it's like something is annoying you, and then pretty soon it's a Toyota, and, you know, yeah. something stops you when you're in your tracks, and it's like, you know, okay, do we have your attention now? <laughs> you well, know? I think... You know, I think that that, that it's like I I ask the universe that may I pay attention next time so I don't have to go through quite what I did before, even though I'm not. uh, Yeah, we do that, but we also have what I call God's sense of humor, which is free will, meaning that uh, we can go with it or not. Unfortunately, great many people, for some reason or another, never really do pay attention to what they're being you know, what they're given the opportunity to learn and discover and to be a part of. They held up. Fear holds a lot of people up. You know, they, they, they actually fear of succeeding. They just don't take that step, even though they kind of get pushed into taking the step. They still don't, they don't succeed in achieving with it even after that. And so I, my mind is, okay, if I take that little step, I believe in it, then I'm going to be guided. It's like a resistance is working for you rather than against you. In other words, you may want to do this and want to do that, and the door just doesn't open, the door just doesn't open. And finally, when a door opens, then it's like, oh, wow, that's what I was supposed to be doing all the time, and thank goodness I didn't go through that other door because I'd have never gotten to this door. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's all a matter. You think it's like a a good lesson there would be if people would simply just like some of what I learned from the Buddhists was if if people would just learn to relax and sit down and just let it come. Well, if you if you for me it's believing, believing one that you have a purpose. And that's a concept is that everyone I see has got a purpose, has got a you know has got something in their soul. I did a book called uh, It's Time to Honor Your Soul's Code. And that is part of that premise is the belief that each one of us has a purpose. And if we choose, we can honor that and we're guided. We have a team that works with us. And pay attention to the clues and just be willing to take that step. And, and the adventure becomes amazing. And to me, it's, every day is amazing. And, you know, I always do my research and I know that you take your almost daily uh walks or or hikes through uh through the wilderness because you live pretty much in the wilderness. We have some good walking trails here, yeah. And, and it's really neat. Do you you must glean do you do you see that manifest? Do you see when you look around you in that scenario, do you see it manifest before you? Like you, it, does that amaze you? Like, okay, this is all of this well, is here yeah, I think it was arranged. I think I was, it was arranged for us to move here some 40-some-odd years ago to just be stewards as mysteries on the land. 
and I do a daily podcast called Message from the Mountain that you can get at MichaelAthway.com, which is free. But to me, it's nature and spirituality, and that nature speaks to me on a daily basis. And if I can find something to talk about, that's beautiful. It relates to life. And it was, yes, I mean, the one today, it was quite a day. Yesterday at the center in the afternoon, I saw two deer out back. One was a female doe, and the other was a young buck with uh, velvet horns. So just seeing wow. that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon right behind the center, and then got home, and about 7 o'clock or so, a thumper, a bumper looked, and there was a yearling bear outside. So, you know, it was just seeing this wildlife and knowing and just appreciating and looking at them as signs, affirmations. Right. They're telling me we have just a little over a minute, believe it or not. I told you this would fly by. Um, oh, twice, yeah. <laughs> um, tell me how I can get or how people in general can get your book. You you sell them through where? Can I get them at Amazon? And, well, you can get them at Amazon. Any store, um, any major bookstore throughout the country is going to have the book, and you can order it any place. So this one and you have a website? Uh, yeah, michaelathaway.com, and uh, it's there. And you can get you can see the whole gamut of the books and everything that we have there too. And uh-huh. if you have any so questions my- or people have questions, they can certainly free to write. So if they go to michaelhathaway.com, dot uh, com, take a look at the books there, and they can either uh, peruse their uh, favorite reseller or go to Amazon or, uh, or like I said, start at the website. Um, yep. And if they if they want to, is there information there if they want to connect with the center to have a session? Sure. Yeah. There is. We also have White Mountain dot com, but they can get back and forth. They just use my name too. Right. Well, Michael, I want you to know that it's been really great having you on, and we only have a few seconds left, and just about enough time to say goodbye. And I really want to thank you for coming here and, and sharing this with us. Thank you, Steve, so much. I appreciate it. I hope some listeners got something out of it. Oh, I have no doubt that they did, and you're welcome to come back at any time. I hope you know that. At any time. Let me know. be glad to. All right. We'll be talking to you later. And this has been Forbidden America once again. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.